Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal female criminals episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular ParCast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find these original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today, we're discussing the deaths of American political figures. Whether their demise came at the hands of an assassin or a political rival, the loss of each of these leaders left an indelible impact on U.S. history. Throughout the world, assassination is one of the most common ways for a political figure to die. According to the National Bureau of Economic Research, a national leader across the world has been assassinated in nearly two of every three years since 1950. According to political science researchers Zaryab Iqbal and Christopher Zorn, assassinations increase the likelihood of political unrest. This may manifest as riots, strikes, or actual civil war. Assassinations may also create trauma for society at large. After the 1963 assassination of American President John F. Kennedy, people reported feeling nervous and tense, dazed and numb, and as grief-stricken as though they'd lost a family member. But not all leaders have been assassinated. Founding father Alexander Hamilton was killed in 1804 by Aaron Burr, his rival, who also happened to be the sitting vice president. To give more context, we'll start with a clip from ParCast original Political Scandals, which covered the United States election of 1800. Before the election, political enemies John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had served together as president and vice president. At the time, the roles of president and vice president were decided by whoever had the highest and second highest number of electoral votes, party affiliation aside. This was adjusted before the 1800 election. Each party put two men on the ticket. Whoever was highest and second highest within their party would be president and vice president. But when the results of the election came in, it was a tie. Both Thomas Jefferson and his running mate Aaron Burr had earned 73 votes. Burr refused to concede to Jefferson, so the decision was left to the House of Representatives. Alexander Hamilton, Burr's longtime rival, helped gather enough votes for Jefferson to win. This act of political partisanship may have led to his death. After taking office, Jefferson made good on his secret promises to the Federalists. But for the rest of his life, he publicly denied making any deal in exchange for the presidency. He also denied any association with James Thompson Callender, who'd been released from prison right before the inauguration. Apparently, the journalist was under the impression that in exchange for his political martyrdom, he'd be appointed postmaster of Richmond. But now Jefferson told him it would be too controversial to give him a federal position. That was a mistake. Callender went back to Richmond, opened up his own newspaper, and ran with the story that the noble-minded new president had paid him to slander John Adams during the election. 
Jefferson strongly denied it, even after Callender published his letters as proof. So in September 1802, Callender upped the ante with an even bigger story. Jefferson had fathered several children with one of his slaves, a woman named Sally Hemings. The children all lived in slavery on his plantation in Virginia. He got a few of the details wrong, but the basic story has been confirmed as true over centuries of research. In response, Jefferson never said a word. No denial, no comment. As for Calendar, in July of 1803, he was found dead in three feet of water in a river outside Richmond. Despite the highly suspicious timing, it was deemed a suicide and never investigated further. With Calendar out of the way, there was only one more problem to tackle, the Electoral College. By the end of 1803, Congress had passed the 12th Amendment, which allows designations between electoral votes for president and vice president. A catastrophe like the Jefferson Burr tie would never happen again. During his painfully awkward four years as vice president, Burr was a persona non grata in the White House. After his steal-the-election gambit and the constitutional amendment he inspired, it seemed like Burr's reputation couldn't possibly get worse. But then, in July 1804, he killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. It was a natural end to the long rivalry between two of the most reckless and short-sighted men in politics. With murder charges pending in New York, Burr fled back to Washington, D.C. and served out the rest of his term as vice president. But when Jefferson mounted his re-election campaign that fall, Burr was not on the ticket. In that clip from Political Scandals, Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton, but was never charged or put on trial. When his vice presidency came to an end, Burr was finally arrested, but for a totally different crime treason. He was allegedly plotting to annex territories in Mexico and Louisiana to form an independent republic. Hamilton's political career was nearing its end when he was killed. This wasn't the case for our next leader, who was a sitting U.S. president. Up next, we'll discuss the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. Now back to the show. At the time of his death, Alexander Hamilton was still an important public figure, but his years of government service were already behind him. Our next subject was not only the President of the United States when he was killed, but he just accomplished two major feats. When President Abraham Lincoln sat down to watch a play at Ford's Theater on April 14, 1865, he likely felt that he'd reached the apex of his career. He had been re-elected to a second term. And just five days before, Robert E. Lee had surrendered at Appomattox, finally bringing the Civil War to an end. But in this next clip from Parcast Original Assassinations, we take a look at how actor and Confederate spy John Wilkes Booth put an end to Lincoln's leadership. Booth wandered to the small vestibule between the hallway and Lincoln's box, 
He slid the jam over the vestibule door so it couldn't be opened from the outside. Then he peered through the peephole he'd drilled earlier. Abraham Lincoln was seated with his back to the door. He was only two feet away from Booth. Booth drew his gun. He pushed open the door to the box, careful not to make a sound. Lincoln was too enthralled in the play to even notice. Booth knew the play well. A particularly funny line was coming up, and he knew the sound of the audience's laughter would cover up the gunfire. On stage, a character named Asa said, Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal, you sockdologizing old man trap. The audience burst into laughter. At that moment, Booth pulled the trigger. Even in the midst of the laughter, the gunshot was still audible. As the cast and the audience all turned to look at Booth, he leapt from the box to the stage. His leg got tangled in the bunting that was draped across the front of the box, and he landed badly, breaking a bone in his shin. Ever the showman, Booth stood up and addressed the crowd. Eyewitnesses couldn't agree on what Booth said, but most reported that he yelled, Sic Semper Tyrannis, which is Latin for, thus always to tyrants. The lead actor, Harry Hawk, stared at John Wilkes Booth as he landed on stage. Hawk had no idea what was going on, and he thought Booth must be playing some kind of prank. While he stared, Booth slashed at Hawk with a knife. He didn't injure him, but he did rip Hawk's costume. Before anyone could process what they'd just witnessed, Booth limped out of the theater's back door and mounted his horse. Nobody chased him or tried to stop him. Booth had made a clean escape. In that clip from Assassinations, John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Lincoln in full view of a crowd, escaped, and then went on the run for 12 days. Union Army soldiers finally tracked him down and killed him. But not before his crime gave birth to various conspiracy theories. Lincoln's assassination left the country in turmoil. No one experienced this more than the enslaved men and women who had been newly freed. Originally excited by the prospect of freedom, many African Americans instead faced severe constraints under Reconstruction. Black codes put in place by the Southern states ensured that they enjoyed little of the freedoms they'd hoped for. Unlike Lincoln, newly inaugurated President Andrew Johnson was no ally of the black community. His questionable actions in office culminated in his impeachment, though he was acquitted by just one vote. Lincoln wasn't the only sitting president to be targeted for his civil rights policies. In our final clip from Conspiracy Theories, we'll examine the impact of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. On November 22, 1963, Kennedy was shot while riding through downtown Dallas in a motorcade. Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested as the assassin, but the questions about who really killed the president started early. They launched the Warren Commission, which ultimately found that Oswald acted alone. We and a lot of critics of the commission aren't 100% convinced by the Warren report here. But if the commission was so convinced there was only one shooter, there must be some other evidence supporting their conclusion. For instance, 
Kennedy's autopsy report. This is where things get really interesting. The autopsy report is far from straightforward and unimpeachable evidence. In fact, the treatment of Kennedy's body after his death is one of the most troubling aspects of the whole case. According to Texas law, the autopsy should have happened at the hospital in Dallas where President Kennedy was rushed immediately after the shooting. A preliminary examination was done in Dallas, but the body was then rushed illegally by Kennedy's staff to Washington, D.C., where the full autopsy was directed by a pathology specialist who had virtually no experience with gunshot wounds. And, for some reason, the doctor burned his autopsy notes just two days after the operation. I'm no doctor, but that definitely does not sound like standard procedure to me. In addition to that, the Dallas doctors initially told the press that the wound in Kennedy's neck was a wound of entry, meaning a bullet would have had to have come from the front. The Washington doctors, who did a full examination of the wounds during the autopsy, disagreed. Faced with these conflicting reports, the commission asked Dallas doctors if they thought they may have been mistaken about the wound in the neck being an entry wound. Most of them concluded they had been. But many factors left people skeptical about how much the medical evidence could be trusted. First off, the pathology specialist who traditionally studies the causes and effects of diseases was an odd choice of autopsy doctor. Then there's the civilian doctor's initial difference of opinion from the federally contracted doctors and the burning of the notes. There were even other mistakes made during the autopsy, including variances of up to four inches in the autopsy report about where exactly the bullets punctured Kennedy's body. There does seem to be a shocking amount of negligence and outright error around the autopsy procedure. It's certainly possible that this was the result of human error and the chaos and stress surrounding a presidential shooting, but it's understandable why many people suspect that something about the president's wounds was purposely being hidden from the public. Especially considering that Kennedy's brain, as well as other key matter from the autopsy that should have been preserved, disappeared after the autopsy was finished. This news broke in 1972, after coroner and Warren Commission critic Cyril Wecht was granted permission to see the autopsy materials. He was able to access the x-rays and autopsy photos, but the actual physical material of the autopsy was simply not where it was supposed to be, nor has it been found since. As outlined in that clip from Conspiracy Theories, many have speculated about the true story behind President Kennedy's assassination. Some believe there was more than one gunman. Others believe Lee Harvey Oswald was a hitman for the Cuban government. And still others believe Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson orchestrated the murder to gain control of the presidency. Whatever the real story, there's no doubt that Kennedy's assassination had a lasting impact on the country. In fact, according to political science researcher Sheldon Appleton, Americans cited the assassination of JFK as the crime that had the greatest impact on American society. In addition to the trauma it caused U.S. citizens, Kennedy's assassination changed the ways in which the Secret Service operated. Gone were the days of the president riding in an open car and doing strolls among the public. 
the Secret Service also grew from 513 agents in 1963 to 6,500 in 2013. Hopefully, these measures will prevent future American leaders from being removed from office by an assassin's bullet. In today's episode of Crime Bites, we examined the deaths of three prominent American political figures. Each incident changed the country dramatically, sometimes spurring progress for Americans, and sometimes rolling it back. The assassination of JFK brought on new changes in the security details surrounding the president, but it left a lasting trauma in the psyche of the nation. Lincoln's death left the work of the Emancipation Proclamation unfinished ushering Jim Crow laws and segregation. And the dueling death of Alexander Hamilton solidified the end of Aaron Burr's political career. Thanks for tuning into ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on the deaths of political figures. We'll be back next week with a new episode on criminal medicine. We often have the utmost trust in doctors to take care of our health. But what drives a doctor to kill their patients? If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Conspiracy Theories, Assassinations, or Political Scandals on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time.